Hey, Stephen. Welcome back. Thanks, you too. What were you doing last night? I saw a movie last night in a theater for the first time in a year? Because we saw Tenet in the midst of COVID, which was like August, so less than a year. Almost a year. But besides that extenuating circumstance where we suited up to brave the pandemic in the modern world, it's been a long time. Was anyone with you? No, I saw it alone. <laughs> no, you, you came with me. Oh, I, that's right. I got you to come see it with me in IMAX. I hope someday soon I can come with you more frequently to these movies. Once your kids move out, call me in 18 years. No, once they stop uh, being infants. It's past the infant stage when I can do it again. Is there a hard number for that? Or is it just like, they're sleeping now? Uh, a couple months. <laughs> but what did we see? Did you say that already? No. <laughs> We saw A Quiet Place Part 2. Dose. film that was supposed to come out exactly when the lockdown happened. Yeah, it was scheduled. For North America. And then it was put on ice for like a year. In fact, it premiered, I think, in New York, March 8th of last year. Oh my God, really? And, you know, all kinds of critics and reviewers, press people had seen it already, including those opening crowds in New York. And then, just as suddenly as the monsters attacked in The Quiet Place universe... (laughs) So, too, did the A Quiet Place box office go silent. And they sat on it for, what What month are we in now? May, late May, almost June. So they sat on it for like 14, 15 months, and now we finally got to see it. I was pretty excited, personally, because the first one, I mean, I enjoyed it. It's not my favorite horror film, Mm-mm. but it's extremely proficiently made. Yes. And, and so is the sequel, but... The first film is notable because it smashed records for horror films. I think it had, at the time when it premiered in 2018, it was the top grossing box office weekend for a horror film of all time. I don't know if it's been dethroned yet, but that was a big deal, especially for Krasinski, who had made one or two films before, directed them. But A Quiet Place was a passion project of his, and he made it with his wife, wrote it with some friends, and absolutely nailed it. So it was exciting for me to see where he would take it because I also know that he had initially not intended to make more. I think he's talked about how it initially began as just a single film, but producers, after seeing how much of a hit it was, convinced him to come back and pitch ideas for a sequel or potentially more films even. Still, he had not intended to direct more. And then as soon as ideas started circulating, they got him to write it and then they got him to direct it and then he got roped in to just basically... What I think he wants to do now is a trilogy of films, not including a spin-off film, which is slated to happen next year, directed by Jeff Nichols, who did Take Shelter. Uh, oh, I love uh, Midnight Special, which is one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. Loki. Yeah, I love I love him as a filmmaker. Yeah, so they've got him to do a spin-off, and I'm pretty sure Krasinski just wants to like finish this out in a trilogy because if the ending of A Quiet Place Part Two is any indication, it was. <laughs> There's more to be told in that world. (laughs) Yeah, it had a very similar cliffhanger to the first one for this little family. Even more so. It ended sort of abruptly, but it wrapped up everything that it had been intending to do. This very much felt like half of a story because of all the plot threads where they left them. Yeah, it wrapped up the things that it needed to for the emotional story beats, uh, but for the answering of the larger questions and... The kind of advancement of the the actual story is kind of left open-ended, the larger story as a whole. But it answers kind of the emotional questions. You know, the first one ends, Lee dies, sacrificing himself for his daughter. And then that kind of makes it so that the family kind of rallies to kill the monster. And then it ends kind of on that satisfactory note of it feeling like 
even though these monsters probably still exist in the universe, the family came together and got over the hurdles that were introduced in the movie. And this one is very similar in that way. It did a really cool job, not something I expected, with Killian Murphy. He's always good. Yeah, he is always good. 100%. I agree with you. I was worried that it was going to be like a 10 Cloverfield Lane thing where they were kind of trapped in a place with Killian Murphy who didn't want them to leave or is forcing them to leave outside, but he was going to be the crazy guy. But instead, he played a sympathetic father and husband who lost his family. And through encountering Emily Blunt and her children, uh, he kind of connects with the oldest daughter who is deaf. She sort of begins to fill the role that he lost with his daughter. And I thought that was really nice. And it wasn't overt. They did it in sort of a subtle way. And he had a lot of struggle going through, kind of pushing forward to the point that they were trying to reach. I thought that that was a really beautiful aspect of the story that I didn't expect. That's an interesting segue because we really, as far as films go, because this film, most of it is in sign language and the dialogue is not spoken. Yeah. We're not very familiar with the names of the cast, except for I think we hear the name Lee a lot in this film because Emily Blunt's talking about her husband in the film, which is John Krasinski and outside of the film. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we could talk about that for a minute. How did you feel about, because we were big fans of The Sound of Metal, or just Sound of Metal, not the, just Joker, not the Joker. Joker. Sound of Metal. And this film had a lot of similar style. and It felt like there was more score in this one than the first one. There might have been. I felt like the first one did more with the silence than this one did, and the the, uh, sound effects of the environment. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But it was the same composer, Marco Beltrami. I'm a mm. big fan of his. He does a lot of horror film scores. But on that note, I think the writing was interesting. I think it all goes hand in hand. But you were saying last night you weren't a particularly a big fan of the writing. And I thought that it was good because he's writing in American Sign Language, ASL. Well, And that's a huge part of how the story is told. And so to write in these moments with not a lot of dialogue and then being able to accomplish that on screen is, I think, a pretty good feat in my opinion. Having more time to think about it, I think I've come around on what I initially didn't. The script is fine. I think Krasinski wrote it himself this time around. He had two other people helping him in the first film, but initially when we saw last night, I was a little put off by some of the horror tropes or cliches you find a lot of the time, like characters making silly decisions as you know a way to move things forward. But the more I think about it, and you told me this last night after I had talked to you about it, that it's in character for these kids, specifically the kids, mm-hmm. um, played wonderfully by Noah Jupe and Millicent Simmons, who plays the deaf girl. The decisions they make in this film, it's part of their character arcs and sort of the idea of being brave and taking up the mantle of what their father stood for. And so the more I've the more I've thought about that, the more I've come around on it because. Reagan or Regan, whatever her name is, how she goes out, ventures out on her own to to essentially save the family and save, you know, she has a plan that could potentially save the world. Yeah. You know, one way or another. And there's scenes where Noah Jupe's character, he goes out and exhibits those characteristics as well of bravery and... Uh, he has a harder time being brave. Like, yeah. Like John Krasinski's Lee did. And he bothered me the most of the movie. I was like, this kid sucks. 
But he, in but a it's good in character. It's yeah, in yeah, character, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so when he stands up in the end, in that really cool uh, back and forth, the the rhyming scene that ends the film, I I was like, oh, that's a really cool sort of redemption arc. And Emily Blunt is back there like a proud mom. Yeah. But Regan Reagan trying to mirror or mimic what she saw her dad do in the first film and be like him, I thought was a really cool aspect to the story, personally. There were a couple other things, too, that I probably would have done a little differently if I were writing it. But overall, I think it was really well done, and John Krasinski should be very proud. Extremely rich world-building in this film as well. So much of it reminded me, actually, of The Last of Us, that franchise, especially with Killian Murphy's character. Moving with Millicent Simmons' character, it very much echoed that Joel and Ellie vibe in this near-future dystopian nature reclaiming the developed Earth sort of thing. And also a lot of the people they meet, you meet a lot of interesting characters in this film as well. Both good and evil, (laughs) friendly and hostile individuals. So just a really nice way to expand the world. And I'm curious because in the first film, it's a very kind of nuclear family-focused drama this film it expands to be you know local environment and what's going on nearby around us and then it's possible in the third film if they get that far hopefully we'll see an even bigger display of what this world looks like now on a larger scale yeah speaking of scale and kind of the tone and look of the film one of the things that stood out to me was the cinematography i didn't realize that both Quiet Place and Quiet Place 2 were shot by women as cinematographers which says a lot i thought it would have been the same cinematographer but looking it up the cinematographer, the director of photography for Quiet Place 2, her name is Polly Morgan, and she's shot a bunch of stuff. She shot a lot of episodes of Legion, which is a really good show on FX. And then she recently shot that movie with Natalie Portman called Lucy in the Sky, which was like a, a space film. But she's a really good cinematographer. I was really enjoying Quiet Place 2, mainly for the look and feeling of it. I was, I thought that the emotion really came through from how it was shot and the camera movements and the positioning of the characters in frame and how wide and then tight the lenses were, meaning uh, you're seeing a lot of the landscape and a lot of the environment behind the characters, but you're really tight on the character, so the camera's up close, but the, the lens is wide, so you're seeing a lot behind the character. And you're getting the emotion, but you're also getting the environment, which is really, really cinematic for this kind of storytelling. And I really enjoyed that aspect. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it in A Quiet Place 1. It really helps tell the story, especially when it comes to like jump scares and stuff or uh, any kind of, you know, suspense aspect when you're creeping through a place. You want to be close with the character, but you want to also see the environment. And so as a character is slowly going through something, through a location, and then you got the music playing, you got that suspense building, and when something pops out, you, there's a lot of jump scares, just like there was in the first one. And it was very suspenseful. Yeah. It's very enhanced by the cinematography, though. And yeah, I was thinking while I was watching it, I would categorize this movie as a suspense film, and the same thing with the first one. To me, it's not so much horror or um, thriller. It's more suspense. There is a monster or monsters, and they're aliens, so it does have sort of the sci-fi element, but it doesn't really focus on that. It's not going into space it's not focusing on the aliens and you're not getting anything from the aliens perspective or seeing ships or anything like that it's more you're focused on the characters the human characters the human story as they creep through this world where these monsters now cohabitate and yeah i really like that aspect of it and the cinematography was great huge shout out to polly morgan yeah i got mad love for her now she was great it was very intimate 
Yeah. Having already praised Krasinski's directing of the film. Really good. Because he really good directing. It. Yeah. I'm very excited to see what he does in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also just lastly wanted to shout out for myself anyway, the editing. Because just like the cinematography, Krasinski used a different editor this time around. Michael Shaver. Oh, he edited Creed. Have you ever seen Creed? Black Panther, too. Dude, Creed is an amazing movie. Mike Shaver and Krasinski did some really interesting stuff with the editing in this film because the entire second half of it, if not all of the second and third acts, the characters are separated, and there's two or three storylines happening simultaneously throughout the film. And to add to that suspense that was created that you were talking about with just the way things were blocked and shot, framed, the editing, I think, played a huge role in that. And it was fascinating to watch because I was I was on the edge of my seat for so much of it. When you see the parody between what's happening with, you know, Killian and Millicent and then on the other side, Emily Blunt and Noah Jupe and the baby. Yeah, they kept stuffing into a box. Yeah, in and out of the box, in and out of an oxygen mask. It was really hard for me to watch as a parent. Yeah, it's... I can't imagine. I was thinking about that during the film, actually. I kept looking at you to see how you were reacting. But the tension just rising all the way to a fever pitch, to a breaking point. And I think they did it a couple times because in a horror film, many counts of this sort of rising and falling action where there's a scare or something in the middle. And uh, they did it over and over, cutting between these storylines. And I just thought it was it was really well done. Versus like, you know, seeing one scene play out all the way with one character and then switching back. Mm-hmm especially in a film where the runtime is only about an hour and a half. and Yeah, that is one thing about these movies, too, is they're about 90 minutes long. Yeah, It makes it even cooler because you're not like strapped in for like two and a half hours. You're getting very good storytelling in a very concise period of time. Yeah, I would love to see... I always err on the longer films side of things because I, I really like to watch a film breathe and sort of soak up those character moments. And this film does that. There are scenes that are a little slower and the characters have time to breathe. Yeah. But everything's still very tight. Yeah. And moves forward very quickly. We were saying, though, like, for example, with characters, I didn't even realize that Scoot McNary was in this movie. He was one of the... I instantly recognized him. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but but like with Jima and Hanso, Hansu, we would have liked more of his character. Yeah, absolutely. Because he was really cool. He was like, clearly this caretaker character. and I don't like to use the phrase criminally... In- anything yeah. very often but he was criminally underused yeah that guy isn't a phenomenal actor and uh totally he was sort of just a bit cameo yeah. towards the end of the film and it would have been nice to see more of him yeah so i'm this is where i'm pitching john krasinski if you're listening uh quiet place three two and a half hours huh. Let, let's let's wrap it up strong or let's do it three i mean this is double the runtime <laughs> no one's gonna see it <laughs> if that happens i'd watch it so, so many great... He could pull a Zack Snyder and do like a, a huge ultimate director's cut. The Krasinski cut. Yeah, cut. Yeah. I would pay big money. I would pay big money too. But there's a couple of things I want to say really quick before we wrap up. John Krasinski, I have a huge love for. I loved him in the... I'm a huge Office fan. I've seen every season like a hundred times. Maybe, I mean, more than like 10 to 15 times. And then when I saw him as Jack Ryan, I just loved him even more. He, he's not like a trope. He's not like falling into... Uh, this one kind of character he's doing a lot more in that show which was really nice to see and then seeing how he is in this movie i just love him as a person like uh, in his personal life he seems to be like a really stand-up guy actually like a genuine nice person and he's also really good in his art and it's really nice to see these days well he's hung on to emily blunt for 10 years so yeah there must be something special about him true because she's a queen and they still seem to really love each other yeah uh, but yeah, I love, I love, 
I really want to, I like supporting him. And so, but it's very easy to do here because his movies are good and he's a good director. And like Gabe said earlier, I really can't wait to see what he does next. It would be nice if they did get hired to be the Fantastic Four yes. to see him direct that movie. That'd be really cool. Get Tom Holland on the phone to call Bob Iger. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I don't know. I think it'll happen. I feel like everyone keeps asking them. Did you see that Emily Blunt was like, no, everyone keeps asking me if I'm going to be in Fantastic Four. It's like ridiculous how many times during the interview process for Quiet Place 2, all these people keep going, so like, are you? it's a huge rumor that you're going to be in the Fantastic Four. And she's like, everyone keeps asking me that. It's got to happen. It's really funny. Uh, but the last thing I was going to say is as an overall film, Gabe and I were sort of debating whether to even do a podcast about it because it's not a masterpiece. You know, it, it does play to a lot of the kind of classic suspense horror tropes that we've seen before. But I was thinking about it, and I think that this movie, it does something special in that it's the most accessible suspense horror film that I've seen that can kind of cater to both horror and suspense fans and then also kind of the general population because it has such likable characters and good actors that are behind those characters while keeping it so that like it keeps you on the edge of your seat but the monsters aren't so scary that you're going to be too scared to go into the theater in the first place, which a lot of people aren't really into. Because, I mean, I remember hearing when Quiet Place 1 came out and everyone was buzzing about it. They're like, yeah, but I don't really like horror films or suspense films, so why would I go see it? And I'm like, it's not really about that. It's more than that. It's much more than that, and it's much more accessible. So these movies do have something special in that way. I think that they're not just the classic tropey horror films suspense films it also has this accessibility that leaves the door open for the general population to walk through and so i think it is worth your time especially in a movie theater if you can see it the first thing that i said when we sat down in the seat was like man i miss being in an imax theater like i forgot how actually tall the screen was it was huge and i was overwhelmed by it at first there's nothing like it it was very nice to be back in the theater just to piggyback on that i would never recommend any horror film that I enjoy to my parents, I would absolutely recommend A Quiet Place. Yeah. One and two. And if you like the first one and if you're listening to this, second one is just more of that, baby. Oh, yeah. That's another thing. It literally starts exactly where the first one ended. And yeah. it feels exactly the same. Just more of the same tone. And I do think that I enjoyed this one more than the first one. It was one. really cool seeing the flashbacks of how it began. Yeah. That was maybe my favorite part because they gave you know Krasinski more money this time around. But that was awesome. That was a really cool scene. Yeah, that was great tension. Mm-hmm. If we haven't said that word enough, tension. It was tense. It was very intense. It was great. Go see it. Well, maybe I'll see you again in a theater sometime. Yeah, I'm going to go see next week The Conjuring 3, which probably will not be as good as A Quiet Place Part 2 Aww. because it's not James Wan. I was a big fan of Conjuring 1 and 2, but, but yeah, horror films are back. Theaters are swinging again. It's movie season, boys and girls. Black Widow comes out in a month. Yeah. Crazy. The next Fast and the Furious movie is coming out soon. Oh, yeah. We're going to space, baby. Yeah, we're going to space. Fast 10, we're going to kill God and resurrect Paul Walker. (laughs) It's going to be Vin Diesel, like, as an angelic warrior (laughs) with a flaming sword. That would be awesome. Uh, Anyway, here's part of the score from The Quiet Place 2. 